Welcome back, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central, and that means another episode of Weekend Horror Podcast, the only podcast where whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We are coming to you live from our YouTube channel, so for all you podcast listeners, be sure to check us out so you too can be a part of our live audience. This week, we're covering select films released in horror history between April 4th and April 10th. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Eugene, and with me today is JL and Alex. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Cheers. So and running in the background, although you can't hear him, is our man Johnny O, running the board. So definitely. <laughs> he didn't say anything. <laughs> he'll say, he'll oh, say hi in the chat for all the podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But we are we're starting off with a little bit of scary news. Uh, earlier this week, Tom Savini was in a car crash. He is okay. No. Yes. Good. Oh. But he but he was hospitalized. Um. Did you did you see that picture of him? And did you see that picture of him in uh, his hospital bed? I did. I did. We were just talking God, about it. Right. He looked rough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he he his tweet he tweeted it out, and it seemed like he was doing okay. But that one, I mean, he looked it looked pretty bad to me. And I mean, it, at the very least, it looks like he's in like high spirited. Uh, he will be okay. But like, yeah, he he definitely took a hit on that one. Um, but there's no way some car crash is going to take out Tom Savini. No, no way. Sex Machine is not going to be taken down by by a freaking car. That's not going to happen. It's like, no, What no. did he say? Okay, so his his tweet was, uh, so this is from Tom Savini to everybody up there. So he said, to my amazing fans, I've had to cancel my upcoming appearance at the Nashville Full Moon Tattoo and Horror Con as yesterday I was hit by a car while riding my bicycle. Left me a bit incapacitated and need time to heal. Thanks so much to everyone who reached out and a huge thank you to both the Pittsburgh Police Department and the Pittsburgh Paramedics who came to my aid so quickly. I'll see all of you very soon, Tom. So we oh, oh there's new photos there's new photos. Ooh. Oh, I haven't seen the new ones. That looks like his work. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so realistic. <laughs> God, that wow, sucks, but, man. That's why you don't ride a bike. See, exercise is fucking dangerous. This is true. This is true. But I'm glad he's okay. You know, we need we need him to stick around. We need more of his excellent work. Yeah, definitely, and we'll continue hunting down the person that hit him and uh, taking care of them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got a squad say, behind him. Right? Have... <laughs> definitely. Well, who do we have in the chat tonight? We got Grave Paradise. Excellent to oh. see you. Yo, yo, Grave Paradise. She has been, and 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 from all of us at Weekend Horror, we are so glad that your mom is doing so much better um, after her major surgery. So we are all, our thoughts are all with her. And I uh, hope that she makes a really speedy recovery because she had to be readmitted to the hospital. Apparently, there was just a, some minor complications, but uh, some post some post surgical uh, complications. But she is apparently doing quite well, so we are all rooting for her. So, and hey, so hey, Grave Paradise, glad to see you, Shane Summer. Excellent to see you. There's PhD Tony, the man, one of our excellent patrons, and Ricky Ricky Belboa. God, that's a cool fucking name. I like that. Good to see you, <laughs> that Ricky. Thaddeus Koss, excellent to see you. And Ivy Gentry, good to see you. And there's a plot hole saying hi from the back, uh, hi from behind the curtain. Uh, Dark Steve. 
Dark Steve is in town on his phone again. <laughs> oh, that's bummer. But good to see you, Dark Steve. Thank you for stopping by. Friendly list. excellent to see you. And I will be getting back to you on that email you sent me very, very soon. Very shortly. So I promise that. And, of course, Charlie Welch, the only man you don't make a bet with. And thank you for coming in. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he says he feels. I'm assuming he says he feels like crap because of his recent health stuff going on. So um, I hope you're resting well. And thank you so much for joining us, man. Definitely, we appreciate it. There's a few other things that I wanted to bring up before we dive into the movies tonight. Yeah, you have the the people under the stairs remake. Yes, which. <sighs> I, I mean, it's Jordan Peele. I mean, I'm I'm excited about anything that he does. I'm sorry, but did you I, see I, who was in this movie? I'm kind of worried. Uh, see, Jordan Peele's one of the directors <laughs> where it's like, I trust. Like, I always remember when they announced Heath Ledger as a Joker, and people were up in arms, and there's like, there's no way Heath Ledger, this is the worst casting ever, and all, and people were so upset about it. And then you got the first scene they saw him in, and everybody shut up. Everybody was just like, nope, nope, nope. Christopher Nolan knew what he was doing. Jordan Peele is somebody who knows what he's doing. So I, I trust him. Okay. All right. I agree. I, I agree. I, I am 50-50 on this. I agree that uh, Peele knows what he's doing. I think he's got a good grasp on it. It's if anybody, I mean, there are a lot of worse directors that could, you know, like could remake Wes Craven, but does it need to be remade? Do we need a remake of this? Because the, the first one was so unique and so entertaining, had an excellent cast in it. You know, I don't, I'm 50, 50. I don't know if it needs it. Maybe it could be awesome. So exactly. Friendly antinatalist says Jordan Peele was remaking uh, people under the stairs. I don't know how to feel about this. I also don't know how to feel about this. Just wait, wait until you see the cast. Everybody go look up the cast and we'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, Charlie said, Charlie Welch says he's got to have his gallbladder out. Oof. Ooh. Damn. Oh, hey, man. Devil has joined no, yeah. us. Good to see you, man. Devil. You're talking about that, Charlie. Do I? Uh, Charlie was talking about that uh, a couple weeks ago. He's got to wait till the twelfth. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, yes, Ivy, Ivy, Ivy uh, Gentry. All right, Ivy Gentry, you are correct. I, I'm not a big fan of remake culture. Um, it just goes to show that Hollywood doesn't have a whole lot of its own original ideas. But I do love Jordan Peele as well. I really do. So we'll see. We'll see how uh, Jaden Smith, I don't Miranda Cosgrove, and fucking Halle Berry play together. I don't know. The thing is, like, I'm at the very least, I'm curious. I, I'm also this. Not a huge fan of the remake culture, but it's just right now Hollywood is so tight on money. Yeah. Remakes are really the only thing that they're going to put money behind at this point. And I mean, at the very the thing is, at the very least, Jordan Peele, after Get Out, was offered several big studio films that he turned down, including things like the Akira, uh, based off the animation remake that's supposed to have a two hundred million dollar budget. So he turned that down so that he can do the project that he wants and control it the way he does. So that's that's the only reason why I'm really excited about it because he's going to be able to have full control of it. It's understandable. Oh, that that that's a good thing. All right, and let's see. Uh, Gray Paradise says no, we don't need one. Gray Paradise says no, we don't need one. Thaddeus Koss says I'm not sure about it either. 
And Mandelville says, I love Get Out and Us, but heard the Twilight Zone sucked. It was a little lackluster. I don't think it lived up to the hype. Everyone was kind of like, oh, Jordan Peele, Twilight Zone, oh, this is going to be amazing. I don't think it did. It was kind of like, oh, okay, it's, you know, it's pretty much it. it was, I just think it was lackluster. I didn't think it was terrible, but it just, you know, eh, just wasn't quite what we expected. <laughs> and, just, they should, uh... and Mandelville also says, Mandelville says they should just leave horror to new indie directors, keep Hollywood out of it. That's an interesting thought. True huh. horror. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. I agree. And Kevin Paul, good to see you. Good to see you lurking. We spy you over there. So other than that, something else interesting. And I it's I never thought I'd I never thought I'd say these words. Rob Zombies the Munsters. Uh, <laughs> we gotta talk about it. We gotta talk about it. I just want I just I just want thoughts. Can't we, because you can't know, we just you ignore know it and you know Sherry is you know Sherry is gonna be um uh the 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 mom. Yeah. I, uh, again, I got I got nothing to say about this. It's, I can't I, I love the monsters growing <laughs> up. And it was like it was a fun show. Like I did I love that show growing up. And I, I don't think I don't think that remake's even necessary to begin with. And second of all, Rob Zombie's gonna do his like trailer park shit that he does on his films, and which it, it works for his original stuff like Devil's Rejects. It works on that. But mm-hmm. I, I want the month the monsters were happy and like they just they just had horror things. They're like the Adams family, they rivaled the Adams family. You know, they were they're happy and they just did their little horror stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to see them like Yelling and fighting and tits popping well, listen out here, everywhere. Eugene, you're gonna see, you're gonna see fucking white trash monsters. Like that's gonna yeah. Happen. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's exactly what's going to say. There's uh, nothing see, wrong um, with white trash. There is just not. That's not the monsters. No, no, that just no. Grave paradise. That is the grave paradise. That is the longest. That is the longest no in chat I've ever seen. It's literally <laughs> no. And then another line. No, Rob Zombie. And then no, no, no. Rocky Popo. Zombie needs to stop. He just needs to stop. Just stop. <laughs> just another no. And uh, Ivy, Ivy, Ivy Gentry. I love Rob Zombie, but the monsters were corny. I, it's weird. It's weird. I yeah. don't know. Trailer Park Boys Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> what's he, okay? Man Devil's like, what's he gonna call it? Thirteen Thirteen Mockingbird Lane or something pretentious <laughs> like that? <laughs> yeah. Shit. Write that down. Never, Take a screenshot. Probably. I never would have thought of zombie as pretentious. As like so pretentious. I, I know he was like Rob Zombie. He's so pretentious. <laughs> like you watch the music video for Living Dead Girl, and you're like, this is a, this guy's so pretentious. <laughs> so pretentious. Uh, that is funny. Well, obviously there. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. And oh, Ivy says the Adams family is so much better than Monsters. Original. Um, the original. Uh, uh, dang, the original Adams family was fantastic. Uh, John Aston is amazing. He he actually. Just turned 91, I think. I saw that. Just had his 91st birthday. But yeah, he uh, that that show kicked ass. And I but I love the monsters too because you know, I mean, I think it wasn't it was incredibly wholesome, despite the fact that these were like universal the universal monsters. And yeah, from Eddie Grandpa was always so amazing. (laughs) Just fantastic stuff. Um 
But I, I mean, I love the show. And I, and I always liked that it had a good, it had a very good hearted message, you know, about inc- inclusivity and just because somebody is different, you know, there's no, there's no reason you can't be friends with them. You know, Herman's uh, monsters are happy and corny and not Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's the same thing. It's like the Adams family, the Adams family, the show, and even the, the two movies. They were fun family movies oh, that you get excited Julia, about. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like, I love those Raul Julia and Angelica Houston. I, I mean, the whole thing was perfectly cast. Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Christina Ricci as Wednesday was magnificent. Um, you know, obviously, Christopher Lloyd is Uncle Fester, and you know, it couldn't be, it couldn't have been better. Raul Julia and John Aston were magnificent. It's yeah, hard. It's, it's it's weird when you have two different actors, two different takes on the role, and both of them are so fantastic. They both just I can see, yeah, yeah, that's Gomez and that's Gomez. That's so wild, but that just goes to the uh it just goes to the absolute talent of these individuals. Yeah, because exactly see, because you can't compare them. So they're, they're right. like they're just both fantastic in their own way. See, friendly analysis. Speaking of classic horror, there's a new bio out about Vampira, authored by her niece. That's cool. I'm gonna want to check that out. Oh, and uh, you just mentioned Vampira. Just re- reminded me of Elvira. I think Elvira is going to be in Zombies Monsters. What? That that Cassandra Cassandra Peterson. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, that she that she's going to be in it. I don't know if she'll be in it as Elvira, but she, I believe she has been cast in it. So. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I'm still worried about it. I'm I'm still. I love I'm Elvira. Still but <laughs> I would be more excited for just a new Elvira movie. It's wild. It's wild. Oh, I mean, just yes, only the original counts of the movies were a joke. The the first one was really good. Adam's family values, I think, was pushing a little too far. Just because it's better episode, you know, that, that kind of that kind of thing is better episodically, which is why it worked as a TV series. But the first film was really good. It was. It just had all the classic moments. You know, he used all the classic stuff from the show. It was just a great throwback. You know, everything from Lurch to Th- you know, Lurch, Thing, Cousin It. And I, I, I just, I, I really love that movie. And plus, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston have a chemistry that is just magnificent. You know, it just, I think, was just encapsulated all of it. Let's see here. And uh, we had one other thing. Yes. Oh, oh. yes. This, yes. okay. Before we dive, before we dive into this, this is um, this is a little this is a little bit of a touchy subject. So, I want to preface this before we dive into this bit of news that just that just recently dropped. So, I don't think that there are any people out there who say that they don't like Jeepers Creepers. I'm a Jeepers Creepers fan. You guys, Jeepers Creepers fans? I like oh, Jeepers yeah. Creepers. Yeah, yeah, Johnny. I know you can hear me. You Jeepers Creepers fan? Gotcha. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I know I know we got fans of Jeepers Creepers uh, Jeepers Creepers, especially the Creeper as a as a kind of horror icon in the in the live chat. I know that. Obviously, it's a very very touchy subject. Director Victor Salva and his history. There's been problems. Obviously, there was problems getting Jeepers Creepers two off. Uh, problems getting the third one. Even more problems getting the third one off. And of course, but they were still making them. We uh, that we. Pretty much thought we were going to get a fourth one. The end of the the end of the third was leading up. It was like, oh, we, we get a fourth one. It's going to complete the story. We're going to get four Jeepers Creepers films. So, but I know how people feel about that. And I know how people had issues with Victor and his, 
his very sketchy past. So, but the news recently dropped that Jeepers Creepers is going to be rebooted. New director, new everything, no involvement from Victor Salva, and completely new story. Victor Salva's story will not be continued. It will. This will be a fresh re, a begin, a fresh start, with nothing having to do with the original trilogy. So the horror icon is going and change is changing hands. It was the fourth it, one was the or the third one was the last one, right? The third one wasn't supposed to be the last one. The third one was supposed to be the one that the one that kicked off the the events going into the final one, which would be the conclusion of his of what he planned as a quadrilogy. Right. So he he planned for four films. But he's not going to get that, and that's most likely because of the outcry, because of his, you know, very dark past, because right. of the things that things have gone on in his past. It, it, it really, it, it's not that it's been taken away from him. He will still get credit as the creator because he created that icon. So they Bro. can't just like you know take it all away from him in, in that respect. He but you got to understand the actions have fucking consequences. So this is this is true. Now. It's still based. It's still based on characters created by Victor Salva. However, this is a new director, a brand new production company who bought the rights, so they are the ones controlling it, and that's pretty much it. He has zero involvement whatsoever. So, I, I mean, one okay. I'm a bit conflicted. I can separate the art from the man, and I enjoyed the movies for what they were and the story they were telling. I loved the lore that he was building in that. I'm really bummed that we're not going to get a fourth one that finishes the story he started. That's three movies of investment over almost a decade. And we're not going to get to see the end of that, which is kind of a bummer. Just as a Wait, horror fan, that's a bummer. What do you mean o- almost over a decade? Wasn't the wasn't the first one, didn't that come out in like 01 and the third one came out in like 2017? Did it come out in 2017? No, no, no. Uh, Jeepers Scrapers 2... Yeah, yeah, Jeep Creepers C came out in oh, 2017. Yeah, no, Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers was the first one came out in 2001. The second one came out two years later, 2003. Yeah, oh three. Then and after then the, the success of the second years. one, there was a, that, that that was the okay. So it was 16 years it took yeah, to get all three films years. out, and that's yeah. because there was, and that's because there was so many problems behind the scenes of people trying to stop the movie from being made, and because of that. You know, he had he had financiers disappear. He had money dry up, which is why the film looks as cheap as it does. So the film suffered because they had already begun pre-production and then all of it. And they had a set budget. And all of a sudden the budget started drying up. So they had to work with what they had. Now, that sucks. And it's I can totally understand why it happened. But I'm bummed. I'm bummed we're not going to get the fourth one to finish up the storyline that was set. That, that bums me out. The fact that we're going to get a new one that's rebooted and completely like that, well, that's cool. That means that this icon can live on past its creator and we can get more, uh, get new movies. But I, like I said, I'm conflicted there. I don't know about you guys. Uh, it's, I, I understand the whole political climate in, I mean, in Hollywood. It, I mean, it's, it's 100% in terms of political, not politics with government, but in terms of the face of it, because people, at that point, we're looking to separate themselves, and you're starting to get to the point where, especially with the whole uh, the whole Weinstein situation, people were digging back in the past, or to the point where James Gunn was fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, series off a tweet he did in 2005. Uh-huh. 
and he now yeah. he he did Suicide Squad and they he issued an apology and he will direct the third Guardians of the Galaxy after that. But it was like for several months. People well, it took the entire cast. It took the entire cast of Guardians to like rise up against Disney, led by Dave Bautista. Okay, because everybody loved uh, Drax. And so when when you know when one of your major stars jumped up and it was like you know what we're, if you don't bring it back we're not fucking doing this, and then the entire oh, cast oh. was behind him like yeah we pretty much agree with that yeah and but I mean we're we're at, we're at this point right now and I think in two thousand probably two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen we're really starting to see this and when you do anything in the spotlight it, people people are people do their research on it we can sit there and go oh man who directed that Wikipedia instantaneous oh he did this i don't want to support it anymore we i mean we live in this age yeah. where but you can do something oh at 16 God. that can affect your career when you're 40 people are so fucking bored over the last year yo people in hollywood have always been fucking shitheads it has always been a thing everybody has been fucking shady as shit <laughs> that's how fucking hollywood is that's why it is what it is everybody fucking fucked each other over fucked each other literally like it was it, everybody's man devil makes a good point I have no real problem watching stuff directed by scumbags, but I hard to find or hard, find it hard to watch uh, actors on screen who did scummy stuff. You're not seeing it. It's always been there. The scummy shit has always been happening behind the camera. But, it, but you know, it, like you said, we have the, the research abilities now. People are fucking bored. Everybody wants to cancel everything. They've always been shitheads. If you walk onto a set, even you guys, I know you guys have even walked on sets with people who have done shady shit. Like, that's just how you get on top of these things. And so it's like, yes, there was issues. Yes, people said some shit. Get over it. Make the fucking movie and put it out as entertainment. It's just, there's so much going on behind it that it's like, it's really cool that they got three out even. Because like you said, there's so many problems with it. People are trying to shut it down. But it it had to happen in the director's eyes. And it did. And that's great. But yeah, it's, it's, I'm sick of hearing about people like, oh, Hollywood. Yeah, they've always been fucking shitheads. Like, it's always been that way. Sorry. And, and no, no. And, and plus, the, old, the plus the thing is, is if it was something new, if it was something recent, like oh, this just happened. He he did his crime. He served the time, and this was stuff back in the early nineties. And he hasn't been he hasn't been arrested or anything like that since. Is uh, there's it, like there's like some big things touching children, absolutely unacceptable. Having sex with somebody without their consent, absolutely unacceptable. Saying some fucking shady shit, like we all say shady shit. There's like different, you know, if you're like a role model, yeah, absolutely. Maybe don't say things like that. But like you're talking about directors and actors and shit that do horror movies. Like it's going to be a weird world. Don't touch kids. Don't touch people without their consent. Well, I mean, you you look at you look at respect to this. You look at you look at. I mean, because uh, talking about what Eugene did, yes, what Victor Salva did was was terrible. Okay, yes. he he is ill. He doesn't. He acknowledges that he has a problem. He went to prison. He served his time. His he served his sentence. Got out on parole. Served his parole. Hasn't had an issue since that whole went the thing went down. From all intents and from, from all reports, he is in. He's been in deep therapy. He's been in therapy ever since. He's on medication. He does everything he can to not relapse and do that. So he's doing what he can to be a productive member of society. You know, he did the crime. He did the time. The crime was terrible. And I'm sorry. Yeah, we know what happens to We know what often happens to individuals like that when they're in prison. So he dealt with that, too. I'm not saying that he that, you know, whatever. But I'm saying that he went through the system. 
He did it. He's out on the other side. It, his life has pretty much just been an upside down hell ever since. Some people feel he deserves it. Some people feel he's paid his he's paid his due. Whatever I'm saying is that I can separate the art from the guy. If but you, listen, if you if you try, I think I think what we're, I think what we're no, I think what we're seeing now is, is and then if you compare that to the likes of Weinstein, okay, that's so different. let's look at <laughs> what what Weinstein. Let's look at what no, it's not it's not different because the, whereas whereas Victor Salva committed a terrible crime. And he did it once. Got busted for it. Went to prison. Did his thing. Did his thing. Weinstein had was literally the worst kept secret in Hollywood for the better part of almost what was it like thirty since years the 80s, like, for thirty yeah, years. Long fucking time. But, oh, but only. But uh, exactly like Johnny said, the worst secret everybody everybody knew about. It's freaking atrocious. Everyone knew about it. No one said anything Nobody because Weinstein was making. Weinstein was making the studio millions. He was making people millions. He was winning awards all over the place for producing the, for producing the movies that he did, for being kind of like you know the bad boys of Hollywood that put out really excellent movies. I mean that that's that, that's and it. That's, that's, that's where so, that's where it's different. Okay, so yeah. the, but the idea is so do we cancel and get rid of everything that Miramax ever put out? Okay, so you look at everything that Miramax put out. You look at everything that – you look at the directors that came up underneath Weinstein, okay? The actors that came up underneath Weinstein, the, the, the individuals that would not have careers if it were not for that man, for, the, for, the, for that guy, okay? I don't want to call him a man because he's a piece of shit. No, he's but, definitely not a man. Yeah. But in that respect, so – I try to separate it. So, yeah, I can still love Chasing Amy, even though I know how deeply involved Weinstein was in making that movie happen. Okay. I can still love the first, you know, the Jeepers Creepers uh, trilogy, despite, you know, the fact like that. Just like, you know, we don't say the same things about James Cameron, but James Cameron doesn't break the law. But James Cameron apparently is a fucking monster to work with. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean come on. The, I don't think, I think there was one human being that had good things to say about James Cameron, and that was Bill Paxton. And that was yeah. it. Yeah, that <laughs> doesn't even fucking like him. Exactly. No, here's the thing. Here's even, the thing. Sigourney is, Weaver, is... even Sigourney Weaver was like, <laughs> he's a very focused individual. <laughs> <laughs> but, but on top of that, the thing with James Cameron is this. James Cameron may be very difficult to work with and yell with people on set and everything like that, but he keeps it professional. He he may True. sit there and fucking yell, yell at you and then he still follows the law. He goes home. He does his, his, his other his other stuff. He doesn't cross that line where there's nothing that he does that's illegal, as far as we know. Nothing that he does that's illegal. You can yell in the military. You can get someone in your face and yell at you all day because you fucked up. But it was never personal. But here's the difference between the military or the military and working on a, a set with James Cameron is you can walk away from the set. Like no, you have you, the option no, to be there. You do, that, you do that, you're walking away from your career. I can uh, yeah, tell you that right but now. But you still, yeah. you still have that fucking choice, though. That's the thing. Is you've got that choice, and that's the thing with this fucking cancel culture bullshit. Listen, you know what these people did. You know where their stuff is. Yes, it was bad, and it might make you feel bad, and it probably hurt a lot of people. But you have the choice to not participate in watching these things, or being a part of these things, or you know, keeping these things alive. Like you have the choice to not hit play, and that's your choice. Absolutely. Like you said, you can sep you can separate the art from the the monster 
I can't do that on a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that I do not watch from Mirmac specifically because of what I know was going on on set and off, you know, behind camera and everything. And so it's like, but you still have that choice. Like you don't need to participate in the stuff if you don't want to. And if, if it hurts you a lot, there's groups that you can talk this to. Is true. But like, true. You know, true. It's you, just you hard to choose. You can choose what you want to watch. You absolutely, you yeah. can. I think the cancel culture, I think Eugene brought up an interesting point. I think the cancel culture thing has been more, has been exacerbated by the pandemic and what's currently going on with Hollywood. Hollywood's oh, coffers yeah. are very, very light right now. So they're not going to. So this is an even greater risk. So if everybody was flush and the and the economy was up and everything was fantastic and everybody was you know was cash you know was cash rich and could go and pay twenty dollars for a movie ticket and forty dollars the concession stand and nobody was batting an eye, then sure we'll take another chance on Kevin Spacey again. Okay, but <laughs> but it's not. But it, but but when the economy is down, when we are literally you know like a hair's breadth from another recession and nobody's going to the theaters everything's going digital release and no one's going to pay those damn prices theaters are going out of business and all of this absolute chaos no they're not going to take a risk on putting a controversial name on something because there's so little money that they can risk to lose that's just the way it's going to be you know when you can say oh if we put we put kevin spacey on It'll be controversial, but everybody's catch risk. So there'll be people who will come because they're Kevin Spacey fans, people who will come just because, you know, because of the controversy. Oh, I want to see Kevin Spacey. Oh, you know, this fucking asshole. I want to see that shit. That's not going to happen nowadays. So Hollywood tightening their purse strings is the thing is exacerbating it and making it look worse. Like look, you look like cancel culture is becoming a big thing when in actuality, it's a financial thing that's being labeled as cancel culture. It really is because um, a friend of mine who's a producer out in L.A., she's sitting there. She's trying to get a uh, she's trying to get a feature. The entire feature costs seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and has a well-known actress that we all we all know. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say her name, but we all know easily recognizable, easy recognizable name, full feature, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Five years ago, any studio would green like that. That is little yeah. risk. The name alone will go ahead and bring people back in, make your money back. I mean, just easy. Even if the film is terrible, you're guaranteed to make your money back. And she's having trouble. She's having trouble selling it because people are just that. Is this the most? Re- is this the most reviled blonde? Is this the most reviled blonde in Hollywood right now? Uh, no, 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 no. This is uh, okay. This is like no, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Man, double makes a, it makes a point. <laughs> Man Devil makes a point. Uh, says I can never watch Bill Cosby or Rolf Harris ever again. That's a- absolutely, and I think a lot of people have like a really hard time with that. Like he said, they're childhood heroes. Yeah, but as soon as I found out what was going on, I could immediately erase those people from my life. Like, there's nothing that like you know, you could just. It's yeah. Sorry, that was a good point, Man Devil. It's like childhood heroes are coming out, and you're finding it's out things. It's just like bye. It's freaking killer. It's so killer. Oh, this is so this is funny. Mandel said, I heard they played rock, paper, scissors when Cameron is at the bottom of the Marianas trench on whether or not to bring him back up. <laughs> just, and he says, just kidding. That never actually happened. That did not happen. But no, uh, no. he's got a point. And you know, before we uh, – this is the last – I think it's the last I'll say like, before we, so we can jump into the movies, the movies tonight. But Bill Cosby was such a – I mean, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. It was fucking terrible. And – which is it kills me because I grew up. One of the favorite things I oh, I remember one of the best memories I have with my dad, given my father's nice history, was watching Bill Cosby himself. That movie 
it, that that there was a two hour play, basically a two hour stand up that he did was so unbelievably funny. I'm talking fall on your ass hysterical and not a curse word to be heard. Just anecdotes about his childhood, the inspirations behind things like Fat Albert and just everything collected there. Just Bill Cosby himself. And obviously he was leaving a little bit out of that story, but (laughs) the funny stuff stuff was there. The idea of, you know, early parenthood, dealing with kids and their insanity, you know, when, you know, what kids do to your marriage, his anecdotes just kept, and I've watched it many times. It always lands me on the floor because I, yeah, I I see as a kid, I'd be like, yeah, as a kid, I did that shit. It was fucking insane. So that's what kills me. And I don't know. I was just, I'm twisted up about that. And somebody said something earlier. Mandel said, I believe Courtney Love told Uma Thurman when she first came to Hollywood and asked for newbie advice, don't go to fucking lunch with fucking Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. What it does is it makes you appreciate the people who are generally good. We think of people like Fred Rogers and Steve Irwin as people who are genuinely great people. It makes you appreciate them even more. Right. On it because they're not the slimy people. They're not two faced. They're not. That's just who they were. They were just fantastic people. And think about the things that they said no to. I'm sure there was plenty of stuff that they were like, you know, asked to do that were going against their morals, and they said no, and they stood, stood strong against their morals, and that's you know, that's commendable. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Friendly anti. Okay. Uh, thank you, Johnny. I will do. Uh, friendly anti analyst says Cosby was the clean alternative to prior. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But anyhow, I know that everybody out there has got their opinions, and everybody is entitled to their opinions. If you don't want to watch these movies because of the reputations that are behind them, then obviously you don't have to watch them. As a horror fan, I find myself sometimes torn between a storyline that I love or a film that I love and the actions of the individuals who are behind it. Uh, I can separate the two. Um, just because I think just because I've been in the industry, uh, Eugene has been in the industry and we can say art is art and the individual is the individual. Now the art may be good, but the individual is an asshole. Then, you know, he won't be making that art for very long or they won't be making that art for very long. That's just the way it is. So we, you know, we take, take it moment by moment, case by case and make our judgments from there. So, um, but man, oh man, <laughs> damn, it's, now, it's the deep stuff. Welcome man, to I mean, this week in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wild. I mean, there was there was all of a sudden just I love it when when we get big news drops, and because it doesn't happen very well, it hasn't been happening lately, you know, as of late. Yeah. But you know, with all of these things going on, um, I am still curious. I, I mean, like I said, people under the series remake, I'm I'm curious. I'm 50 50. You know, doesn't need to be made. I'm morbidly curious as to what's gonna what, what's gonna come out. Rob Zombie's Monsters. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> I could just beat you with a bat. That would be less painful. <laughs> I mean, come on. We can get a little cameo from from Dr. Satan. We can get a little bit of that in there. It would be fucking hilarious. I, I just want to know who's going to get to play Grandpa. I'm dying. If to Jack know. Black isn't Grandpa, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> fucking sweet. I'm gonna be and mad. then, of course, a brand new... You know, you know, uh, blank slate Jeepers Creepers film. While I'm sad that we're not going to get to finish the story, I do want to see that. I'm going to go to the theater. I'm going to go see that, or I'll, I'll get it on digital, whichever one. I will go. I will see that movie. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Mandel says the constant abuse and assaults by Sam Raimi on Bruce Campbell on set were kept hidden for many, many years. 
Well, I am to be honest, Mandevil, I've heard a little bit about that. And I heard that there was kind of a trio because it was Rob Tapper, Sam Raimi, and Bruce Campbell, because all three of them were went to school and they were childhood buddies. And there was always that kind of con that that a weird camaraderie rivalry kind of thing. And that Bruce, despite the fact that he was the tall one, he was the handsome one, he was always the good looking one. And True. Sam and Rob are kind of not. And that it was always them ragging on him. And that he's like a total like sweetheart. And he would never, you know, the dude is like six foot four. And it's just like, oh, chin for days. He could, and he could smash these guys, but he's not, he's just not that kind of guy. He's like, yeah, I'll take it, yeah, whatever, man. So I think, you know, I think that's just their way. That's just three three childhood buddies who just fucking just go at each other. And then, oh, well, I mean, you may have been joking, but that these are things I've heard. Just that Sam Raimi and Rob Tapper t- tend to gang on Bruce. I think it's because they're kind of like the short, nevish little dudes, and uh, Bruce Campbell is decidedly not. And then PC Tony says, I have the same attitude via Mel Gibson. Hmm. I think a lot of people do. It's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. All right, I dude. Did, let's I get started. That guy a long time ago. I don't, dude. Uh, the Beaver was fucking amazing. It really I was. And I'm not saying it was, a, it was a comeback film. It was the first movie he did when he was coming back. And it was about a dude who goes through a nervous breakdown. And is suffering from chronic depression and falls into a nervous breakdown and then manages to work himself out of it. That was a, I mean, it was a stunning film. It really was. Jodie Foster, Mel Gibson, Anton Yelchin. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. All right. Fuck it. You know, we got movies to talk about. So, Alex, what do we have up first? Let's dive into it. (laughs) All right. Coming at you. It's literally been, it hasn't been that long. (laughs) <laughs> We've been talking about the shitty people in Hollywood for almost an hour now. We so we started at seven fifteen, not seven fifteen. It's it's been like forty minutes. Oh my god! Okay, Tech and we covered four Excuse major that. things. We spent like ten <laughs> minutes on each. Thing. <laughs> Still, go go with the movie. Movie, Alex, take us away. Got me all worked up with fucking shitty people. Anyways, we're gonna talk tonight about Afflicted. This was fucking awesome. <laughs> Jail. Speaking oh, of, god, I hate that. I hate that fucking Kevin Spacey. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) afflicted jail. Thank you so much for recommending. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. that Sorry, when you interrupt me, Jesus. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just say Bob Barker. I was trying to get a joke out. Just that whole. Did you just say Bob Barker? I was trying to get the joke out. Oh, I hate. It was, it, was, it was from Happy Gilmore. Happy oh, Gilmore. I hate that Bob Barker. <laughs> but uh, Afflicted, um, yes. You're very welcome. I'm, I think you. it sounds like you enjoyed it. Yeah, hell yeah. Dude, this is a great movie. Afflicted came out uh, April 4th, 2014. Um, this one was, it was um, hilarious when I was reading up on like the bios and stuff. Directed by Derek Lee and Cliff Prowse. Uh, starring Derek Lee and Cliff Prouse and Michael Gill and Bea Rehaz and Benjamin Zetuan, who's who's Maurice in the movie. He's like the only one that I think didn't use his real name in the movie. Uh, Zach Gray, Jason Lee, Ido Van Bremen, Gary Redekop. Uh, and then a couple that I had never – a lot of them I hadn't heard of before. I knew who Derek Lee was, but I didn't know about this movie. Um, Afflicted, essentially, it was a found footage film. Uh, these two friends are going on a adventure, uh, and they're, they're going to document a, um, 
Jesus Christ, let me get my shit together now. They're going to document a trip. Uh, it's kind of like a, a last uh, a last trip for Derek because he's got a brain disease. I think it was AMV, something with his brain swelling and bleeding. Um, and then oh, a- he, a- a- AVM, AVM, it is an AVM. AVM, that's what it is. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, AVM. Yeah. So they go to they go to Barcelona, and Derek meets up with this woman, and they kind of go at it. And his buddy like tries to prank him, and he finds him, and he's all fucked up, half a half awake, just kind of like dying. And then Derek starts to show some signs that something is definitely wrong. Um, I guess it doesn't really ruin it. He essentially contracts uh, vampirism, turns into a vampire. Um, and it, it's a found footage film following his like transformation and find his, it was, this was really well acted. Like it was super cool. It was the new concept. The found footage kind of hits the vampire uh, world. So it was like, it was really cool. I, when I first saw what was going on, I was like, no way. Is he really going to be a vampire? And then he starts, you know, getting all pissed off and punches the wall <laughs> and then starts running really fast. And I'm like, this is fucking cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, all the way to like the end, like the ending, it was like, oh my God, she was just trying to be nice and blah, blah, blah. So it was, yeah, no, this was starts, a really good one. Starts eating, starts eating, starts eating, starts eating normal food and And then he eats the, the animals and he's like, fuck, it's gotta be human blood. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was, and then, you know, when he fucking rages out for the first time and takes all those fucking bullets and just rips that squad apart. It was, that was, that was badass. That was great. The whole thing was yeah, badass. Was, it was, I think I was, I was like, I was kind of blown away with like the acting and like the actual uh, filmography or the, uh, just like the technicalities of the movie were really, really good for a found footage. I have a hard time with found footage because it's been done so many times very poorly. So yeah, it was definitely, it was done very well. It was really good. I liked it. I, I did. I actually, I really enjoyed it. I watched it earlier today. And the thing that like, honestly stood out the most to me was the camera work in it yeah because you're right so many found footage films they just they look so bad it's so generic and it's just it's just basic and all this other kind of stuff but this is i mean you're having the camera go through walls you're having the camera where he jumps out like this like three four story and the camera follows him yeah down and turns and looks up i was so worried it was going to be like hardcore henry like you know i thought it was going to be too much movement but yeah going out the window when it's like he's like watching the ground the whole time he's not looking around it's like focusing on the jump yeah, and, just looking down. and i was yeah, like and then he looks back up and it was like whoa <laughs> like that, that was like that was just impressive like throughout so it's like yeah it's like a found footage film it's like if you took like hardcore henry and then the found footage genre and like put them together because hardcore henry has like some amazing camera work when the camera's going yeah, back absolutely. between like a motorcycle oh, yeah. and cars. So like really made, but it's just so shaky and everything on it. This is like, this had, a, shaky. this had a good like middle ground on it. Yeah. But it was like when it was shaky, what, what it really was showing you there were, there what were, you needed to see. Well, I tell you, there were moments in this that what really got me, um, aside, apart from, yes, the camera work was fantastic. Uh, the POV, the POV perspective of him and his, you know, basically showcasing how he's looking at the world with these newfound powers was really, really inspired. Um, it also got me, there were moments in there, even though it was found footage, there were moments that, that, that rung a little bit of like Cronenberg and that as Derek was going through his transformation, the, uh, the, when he goes catatonic and he's, you know, like that. And, and when he was all strung out on the bed and just kind of like, you know, doing the Twitch thing and, um, uh, the way his friend, the way Cliff is, uh, 
kind of documenting it as it's taking place had a very had a very the fly feel to me. I just got like you know kind of just memories of the fly there. There was an idea, and I love that they took inspiration but didn't try to emulate it, which I thought was really really good. And then of course they wanted to showcase the point of view of having these abilities, which I thought worked very very well for found footage. And it was the shaky cam idea was where it needed to be and not too much. It was extremely well shot for a found footage with only moments that would remind you, oh yeah, okay. It wasn't always at the forefront of your mind while watching, which is the thing was what one of the things that made it really, really good. Not to yeah, mention, think, not to mention I the think, acting, because Derek and Cliff were very easy to relate to as friends. Right. I, I could be way off, but I think the I think the uh budget on this was fairly low too. Um I can imagine I, I it, was. Say, it was. I was, um, I was trying to look it up. It was like three hundred eighteen thousand. Yeah. Yeah, well that's not it wasn't much. It didn't make shit either. Like when it came out, like it wasn't, it didn't make the money back, but it was still, I think it was one of those ones that just kind of got lost. But uh, no, you make, you make a good point with the Cronenberg stuff. And uh, I was going to say something and I fucking lost it, but um, the storyline was, well, be, uh, oh I, yeah. I, no, I I remember. Uh, did, oh yeah. Go ahead. Did, did you, uh, did you catch the, the mid credits scene at the end? I was no. reading that a lot of people hadn't seen it, and I, I went back and rewatched it. The credits, and there was a mid-credits scene um, that shows a couple of teenagers breaking into a pool. You didn't see it? Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, no, go back and watch it because somebody, well, somebody comes well, well, back. Well, okay, dude, yeah, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to spoil it. <laughs> no, you're right <laughs> for anybody who didn't happen to catch it. Yeah, no, I read I read that there was a mid credit scene, and I was like, um, I'm going to go back and check that out. And I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch it after the podcast. <laughs> but I really, really, de- I, I like I wanted like what I mentioned that um, Derek and Cliff were really worked really really well together. Not only did they both uh, they both started the film, they both co directed the film, they also wrote the film. And you know, looking into their history, it's easy to understand why that they're why they have such great camaraderie, why they work so well together. Is because it, throughout pretty much throughout their careers, they've done nothing but work with each other. So that's actually a sign of a cool. You know, they have partnership. They know they have that shorthand, and they work really, really well as far as bouncing ideas. Very similar to um, Adam and Richard uh with their yeah, hosts yeah. they they know each they know where their strengths lie they work on they focus on those things they collaborate when they need to and they pretty much have this up and they get their shit done um the sad thing is is that afflicted and this kills me was the last thing they did yeah and was, there's was, nothing else hey you know and to be honest i did in the research i did i where did Derek and cliff go because it i doesn't uh, say I, yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything about it. And I wonder if it has something to do with uh, the fact that the the movie didn't make any money. You know, it was like had they had they given up? Well, they shot the. Well, there's a big thing. I know. I know that. And Eugene can explain this a little bit better than I can. But there's a process there. As far as it's not really what Derek and Cliff did, because Derek and Cliff made the movie. They secured the budget. They shoot the movie. Then they showed the movie at TIFF. Um, which I think, yeah, they showed the movie at Toronto in in, uh, in September. So it, it, it premiered at that film festival. But at the film festival, you then sell the film to a major distributor. I think, Al, I think Eugene, you can take it from here. Yeah, so a lot of times what you do, if, if you go, if you're making an indie film, you would go, you make it, you enter it into a bunch of film festivals, and a lot of times distributors are there. 
and they're looking to pick up content or they either looking to pick up content, meet people and hear what next their next project is or pitch sessions or stuff like that. And that's how some of these films can get distribution, especially these indie films or, and you have upcoming filmmakers and they can eventually work on the big budget studio stuff on it. But what, what I'm always curious about is sometimes you may make a film and you get put into that Hollywood system. And sometimes people just don't like it and they quit. And it's just, just, True. I don't. I don't know if it's like, hey, we're, they're still trying to get other stuff and they just have been unsuccessful, or if it's like some of the people out there who there's like, I, I made a film, I did it, I don't. Uh, a big one is uh, Freddie Wong from he did the YouTube channels, the action videos. Yeah, uh, he did a bunch of YouTube. Oh shit! Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and I mean, he graduated from uh, I think UCLA, and he was one of their like distinguished graduates and all this other kind of stuff from that film program. And he made his short films. He worked on films, and he got so burnt out on the Hollywood system that he pretty much quit and was just, just I don't want to do this anymore. I just was like I don't, and I wonder if that's something well, sometimes, like sometimes the yeah sometimes. Oh, no, just go ahead, go ahead. Eugene. Oh, yeah. And it's, I think sometimes we, we also hear a lot with child actors when people are like, oh, well, they failed at acting because they blah, 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 like Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Oh, he failed at acting. No, he said he was tired of acting. He wanted to do something else. It's understandable. I mean, you know, and, you get into it as a kid and you find out later that you don't like it. Like, fine, fine. Well, I mean, or sometimes <laughs> yeah. people just want to move on to things. Or like you said, like sometimes you, you make a movie. Because yeah, I mean, who? Uh, how often does it happen? I mean, you can you can count them like this. This is exactly what happened with Saw. Okay, so the guys who did Saw, so you know, made the made the short, took it to film festivals. It immediately got picked up by Lionsgate. Lionsgate said, "We see a franchise in this. We're going to go." They went hog wild. Now we have like a bajillion fucking Saw movies. Thirty-six Saw movies. <laughs> you know, it was it literally became the Holly. It literally became the Hollywood movie. If there was not a Saw movie coming out that Hollywood, then Lionsgate had somehow failed. So it was it, it, the the whole tagline was it's Halloween it must, Halloween yes so <laughs> I don't know this is so weird because Johnny talks to me I can hear him in my I can hear him in my heads <laughs> up I don't think anybody else can <laughs> but just it, it was the whole commentary. tagline it, it's Halloween it, it's Halloween if it's Halloween it must be Saw okay yeah. so that's where you get there but not everybody gets to experience that some people you you send stuff to a festival and it goes to the festival and then that's it and you never sees anything else from there you get lucky if you get picked up and you're able to sell the film to a major distributor and if it's an experience i wish everybody every filmmaker could have maybe one day eugene and i will do that we'll put together a short we'll send it there we'll get to move it and i could i would i could literally do it be like oh wow i sold a movie well i guess i'm done <laughs> I just don't I've feel I, I, like I don't feel the pull to do it anymore. I seriously <laughs> doubt that. I want a fucking Oscar on my mantle. That that I want that. So, but it's never. I mean, it's never going to happen. But nonetheless, that's don't something. Say that. Not with that the attitude. Jesus. <laughs> not with that attitude. You won't. I'm saying maybe a Golden Globe, maybe an Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> get get nominated but, at least. Just a fucking plaque that says I was at an award show. That's all I want. Just a nod, just a nod. If I can have nominee, that you, if you, you even get the nominee, Academy Award nominee. I'll take that. I don't have to win, but nonetheless, sometimes you land it. Sometimes you, you hit that big milestone, and you're just kind of like, wow. 
And you realize you look at all the work it took to get that one. And sometimes some people could feel it's just not worth it, which is a shame because both Cliff and Derek are extraordinarily talented individuals. And I would have loved to see the scene, maybe a follow-up to Afflicted. Probably not would have been great, but at least something else. Like, you know, push into something. Judge just said Hollywood instead of Halloween twice in a row. No, I meant to say Halloween. I was saying this. I was saying I was saying, <laughs> the saw, I was saying the saw tagline. Yeah, right. No, but you well, did anyhow. say Hollywood. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> we'll fucking okay. We'll fix it in post. Okay. <laughs> we'll ADR that. So we just insert I'm Halloween. Sitting, in, sitting in my little, sitting in my office. ADR yeah. So if it's Hollywood, Halloween. Hollywood. No, your t- your tone's all fucking wrong. Do it again. God damn it. <laughs> But I wish I'd seen more from them. Uh, I think that they were a really, really talented team and really, really smart. Um, unfortunately, you know, maybe not. May, or who knows? Maybe they have a super secret project that they've been working on for seven years. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how dope would that be all of a sudden? It's hey, like, when did Abbott... watching TV and it's like, Derek Lee. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> from the makers of Afflicted. <gasps> <laughs> and and of course it's not, it's not really on them the failure of the film at the box office is not really on them because they sold the movie to the distributor the distributor picks it up and then they then they distribute the film out to theaters maybe they just didn't do it right they didn't put the money into marketing they didn't do this maybe they just needed another horror film to kind of round out their schedule to make sure that they still had presence at the box office whatever so but that's not on them it's like you know they made their movie they show it and they they, they made a movie they took it to the it took it to festivals and they sold it. Boom. I mean, that doesn't happen every single, you know. Hold on, I gotta check. Sometimes, sometimes oh no, never mind. I'm sorry, you know, lifetime filmmakers did. never get that opportunity. And I was I was gonna gonna say, oh, go ahead. And also sometimes it just depends on the climate. You you can make an excellent film, but if that's not what the that's not what people are going to see. Like in 2014, you're getting the tail end of the found footage genre. Because you had all those that came out in late 2000s, early 2010s. Maybe it just came out too late. And people are just already... And I think this is better shot. I'm not impressed with a lot of cinematography from found footage. I think it's cheap. You can get away with a lot of shitty stuff. Can't get in like regular productions. But this, to me, was shot very well. But that that train may have already sailed when it came out. Here, I can tell you right now, Paranormal awesome. Activity, the marked ones, came out in 2014. So I wonder if that had something to do with it. Yeah, and I, I when the marked ones came out, when the marked ones, actually, no, that was. <laughs> oh no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm saying, no, saying there's a bit of news there is that they they, they announced that they announced the next Paranormal Activity, but and now I think it recently just got pulled from the schedule. Yeah, they pulled it. Mm-hmm. So. But no, it's because it, like you're talking about, Eugene, found footage stuff was kind of wrapping up uh, at, at that point in time. It had been beat to death. So I, I wonder if it had to be like, because everybody probably had just seen, you know, depending on when it came out, because uh, I think the, the marked ones came out at the beginning of the year in 2014. So I think it was probably just like, all right, everybody's done with it. You know, it's over. So I don't know. Wrong, yeah, wrong time. Definitely. Either way, it's a great movie. Yeah, it was, de- yeah. It was definitely a fantastic movie. Um, I think I think I can ask the audience a question on this one now. I think we've kind of hit everything on this movie. Definitely go check it out because this was absolutely probably one of the best found footage movies I've ever seen. Um, I want to ask the audience though, what do you like most about found footage? I'm gonna have to throw this one at JL real quick. 
<laughs> you put oh, your punch oh, oh. in, in wrong on the, on the fucking <laughs> I was like, I think no, no, no. What question, do you, I, because there's so many there's so many found footage movies out there, and right. I was just really, really curious as to you know all, all the horror fans we out here. What do they enjoy about found footage? Is there a particular what, what thing that people really dig? Right. And that's what, that's kind of aspects of it. Like what, what parts of found footage? Like, I like the fact that it makes you feel like you're right there Yeah. when it's done right. Like the, like in afflicted, like there's points where you're like holding your breath because you feel like you're like the window jump scene. You're like, Oh God, you can feel yourself falling because it's so, you know, it's shot so well. Like, so yeah, like when it's done right and you feel like you're in the story. it got me again, the same thing it got me with Blair Witch Project. I never yeah. experienced a movie like that. And, you know, and, but I think that's because there's a big difference between seeing found footage on your television screen and seeing found footage on a movie screen. Yeah. Because Blair Witch was like a fucking roller coaster ride in the theater. <laughs> and Blair Witch on your TV is kind of like, why am I watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries? So, okay. You know, so there's here's a, another there's thing. There's a too. big. Ex- go ahead. No, no, you, you go ahead, man. You were talking. Oh no! I was just I was trying to because we were talking about why it didn't do so well, and I was just looking up some found footage movies. As above, so below came out that year as well. So it was like it, it was just yeah. like two big ones right around a small indie one. Yeah, I mean that's probably the case. You had I think you had the Blair Witch to come out, and you had a little surge there, and then Paranormal Activity was the one that really kind of pushed it because then you get like Cloverfield and Quarantine and all the other ones that came out. Um, yeah. and with Paranormal Activity, I liked the way it was shot because it made it feel more real. That it was like because it's like yeah. surveillance footage, and you it feels more intimate because it's like handheld. It looks like home video footage, and it just makes it feel real. Whereas I think a lot of the other found footage films, it feels like Hollywood trying to be real, right on it, and. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, that's like, we look at the Blair Witch Project. That's what sold people. It was real. The cast didn't do any interviews. Yeah. They didn't do Tonight Show. They didn't do anything. Their marketing point was: we found this. It is real. Watch it. And that's what uh, scared the shit out of people on it. That's why Blair Witch was so successful <laughs> on it. If they went on, if they went and they marketed like you would market a traditional film, that film would have been half as successful. Right. It wouldn't have. Yeah, well, and then the, the actors fucking off for a long time afterwards was pretty cool too. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely let us know what in uh, in uh, for all of our live audience or for anybody listening to this on the podcast, let us know in the comments or uh, shoot us up or hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail with you know, what do you dig the most about the found footage genre? What aspects of it, or you know, maybe the camera work, maybe the way it captures acting or whatever. Just what do you dig most about it when you see it? We'd love to know. So hit us up there. <laughs> so what is next, yeah. Mr. Eugene? Eugene? Come on. All same right. Day, same day, a few years before. <laughs> same day, a few years before. We have The Ruins, released April 4th, 2008, directed by Carter Smith, and it stars Jonathan Tucker, Jenna Malone, Sean Ashmore, Lori Ramsey, and Joe Anderson. And you have a group a group of basically your standard early 20-year-olds that go out to Mexico and stumble across some Aztec-like ruins and then start getting attacked by things like vines and 
basically nature as a whole, and shit goes crazy. Shit hits the <laughs> fan. <laughs> <laughs> they start fucking with shit they're not supposed to fuck with. I swear with. that that's yeah. that, that's good. That that's that's going to be the Eugene quote on movie posters. No, when we do go to when we go to quotation marks, when they when we need to make Eugene a T-shirt that just says, "Then can you hear me?" (laughs) Yeah, we can hear you. Now you're just fucking with me, man. I said we got to get Eugene a T-shirt for Texas Frightmare Weekend that just says, "And then shit got real," and then underneath it, do a little dash and says Eugene on it. (laughs) <laughs> weekend horror podcast yep and then shit got real hilarious <laughs> shit got real uh, <laughs> yeah the ruins well Touch, the ruins the, the ruins deeply the ruins was was very impressive i was anticipating something when i first saw the picture and it was kind of like ah oh, the ruins and then it's kind of like i think what was the what was the friggin' um Terror has evolved. And I was like, oh, so it's obviously it's like a monster flick or something of the nature. I was not aware. I had not read the book um, that it was based on, which apparently, according to the author, was the book was so dark that uh, they had to do a different ending because if they kept the ending uh, of the book, then people would have felt like they would just watch The Mist. You know, they would just want to eat a bullet. It was so, <laughs> the, the, end the, book is so fucking, the end of the book is so dark. And... And this one, I was really, really, I was highly impressed, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Not only with the with the fact that you know, technically there's no monster; it's a bunch of fucking plants, but done so incredibly well. And it, I love the fact that Carter Smith was so adamant on the vines being something that one, if you saw them from a distance, you could easily accept that these things were real, that they're just vines that are overgrowing this Mayan temple. It's like you could easily tell me he wanted them. So he wanted them to be. If you saw them from a distance, you could just buy. You just pass them off. It's just they're, they're just they're just vines. And it wasn't until you got up close and started examining them and really looking at them that they started looking really fucking off. And that there was something very very strange about these things because we knew that the camera was going to come in. They're going to be you know caught in this claustrophobic space on top of this little temple, and eventually you know they're going to have to you know come face to face with these damn things. And I and of course the whole sequence. Uh, going down into the um, going down into the temple via the winch, and then the whole like when the whole tunnel comes alive, they figure out that the that the fucking plants are making the sounds. That was creepy oh, as shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that I mean, like being inside. That's always that's one way to get me in a horror film is simulating being inside the monster, like yeah. you've been swallowed. It's a ter- it, It's an awful feeling. I just, and I because. When you when you think about it, being eaten whole is god awful. Jurassic World, when the assistant got eaten by the by the mosasaur, I was like, holy fuck, because she wouldn't have been dead. She'd have been alive. She'd have been alive mm-hmm. going down. The same thing in Meg. In Meg, uh, when the guy's in the water, and then all of a sudden the Meg comes up and, and just swallows him whole. I was like, oh fuck, he's going down. He's alive the whole time. That's so that's so terrible. And it, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies every single time. The idea of that, but I was really impressed. With the uh, the effects were good, but the way the characters encompassed the idea that these things were growing inside of them, it's and uh, this the paranoia that builds when you're like, because it, it could just be a normal itch, but look at the situation you're in. No, they might be inside you. So, when she was fucking carving into her fucking thigh, oh my god. <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> 
No, and that's I saw a lot of people were talking about how they like this movie, and they're Man Devil. You rarely winced as much. It, it seriously, like it, that movie was like it made your body feel just like itchy the whole fucking movie. Like, ugh. Yeah, that, that came in the creeps. The whole thing, I loved the aspect where they're like, you know, the locals are there and they're like, oh my God, the locals are trying to kill us because we're fucking with their ruins. And they're like, no, dude, they're just trying to save their own fucking asses. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not, you, you guys fucked up. Oh, like, they're well, not the bad man, guys. Man Devil just, man devil just said, and those practical effects, which he's peeling off. The, uh, oh, no, <laughs> if we got to go practical effects. Practical effects, the leg amputation. I mean, they got to the bone on it. Like that. I'm like thinking more and more about it. Amputation with a rock. Hot. That or being being suffocated to death by these things. I mean, and the fact, and then it gets really fucking wild when they start playing, when the plants are playing each other off against, playing each other against, or playing all the humans against each other by yeah. mimicking sounds that will piss them off, as though they're smart right. enough to understand you know, human psychology, and to be, you know that that shit was fucked up, which means that you know the plants are listening, they know what you're doing, you know. <laughs> could they remake? Watching. Could they remake they're this Always movie? watching. Could they do like a second one now? Did they do a second one? I, I honestly don't think I honestly don't think this movie should ever be remade. This movie was for for what the book was. If you read the book, and the book True. ends much darker. True. At the end of the book, um, Jenna Malone's character she uh, she ends up killing herself to try and be a warning against other people showing up because she realizes she's going to die anyway. So she ends up killing herself so that and, and lays her body down in the trail so that people come across and be warned off from the. Uh, from you know, from going down there and becoming victims themselves, but then the 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 uh, the vines grab her body and drag her into the brush. Hell no, you ain't fucking with my lunch, bitch. You know, so damn, <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have great parents, right? They have brains. They're smart, like <laughs> or maybe like like a collective intelligence. Who fucking knows? But like a, yeah, like a hive. Th- something that, and I think, and given that this movie came out two thousand eight, so we're we're you know, in the first it was the first two thousand you know before two thousand ten. A big thing that was hitting the kind of airwaves and everybody was talking about was obviously climate change. The uh, the concept of the world turning against us, which um the which the original which the author was stating it was, was kind of in his mind when he wrote this. It was the concept that we are not so in control of this world as we like to think we are. And you never know if you go into the you know the darker, you know, untrafficked areas of the planet, you may find really, really scary stuff. You suddenly realize that you were wholly unprepared before. I think um, the story about those two German hikers who disappeared into the rainforest. Oh, and they're, all they they're, found was their yeah. You're talking about the two. Oh, they were Dutch. Oh, yeah, Dutch, the two Dutch, two Dutch, Dutch. Yeah, two Dutch hikers who vanished, and all they found of them was some. I think some some bone scraps and their camera, which had. Uh, you know, a very, you know, because they were trying to light their way with the flash of the camera, you know, because they got lost in the dark, and that's fucking, you know, shit like that is scary. We don't know what ran afoul of them, but you know, who knows? And the idea that um, nature fighting back against humankind because we are the evolutionary pressure for the planet now. We're so dominant in everything that we do. We can't just say, you know, yeah, you know, 
you can't say that nature wouldn't adapt and evolve to our presence so that we couldn't kill it anymore because that's simply what natural selection does. Try you to know? wipe us out? You mean like by or no, just ad- just, pandemic, adapt, no, just adapt to global us. pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> the earth is like I wasn't gonna cows. go topical. Well, that, I wasn't gonna go that topical. <laughs> No, but hey, you're absolutely right. The whole before 2010 and going into the climate change and all that stuff, there was another movie that came out um, that tried to do the same thing, but very, very fucking poorly. This the same year, actually. <laughs> oh, fucking Marky Mark. <laughs> uh, uh, the happening yeah, the came out. <laughs> yeah, around the same time, which which was exactly a, same kind of same kind of topic. You know, it was like the, the earth is fighting back, defending itself because we as humans have fucked everything up and we're terrible. We're terrible for the planet, which off fucking topic. I heard a uh, uh, conspiracy theory today about uh, Mars being inhabited by humans at one point And we fucked up all the resources there and nuked it and went to earth. And now Mars is starting to restore itself and we're trying to go back to Mars. So it's like, you know, we're just going to keep fucking shit up and bouncing planets until, <laughs> end of fucking time. but seriously, the, the concept, um, is terrifying. The whole, the whole, um, uh, nature fighting back concept is absolutely terrifying because if in fact plants and animals decided one day that humans weren't, you know, necessary for the survival of the planet they could take us out no problem if one day one of them evolved i just saw a video about monkeys are starting to evolve to like use tools and build boats and like they're starting to get smarter and that's fucking scary because we're the bad guy when it comes to the planet it's like man if, if i get fucking well, attacked I think by monkeys it, it in a boat yes <laughs> It puts. It, I think it, it puts forth. It, it's an extreme, an extreme example of the Earth or or nature itself just adapting to our presence. Is that we, yeah. you know, the, what the our actions in the world are an evolu- evolutionary pressure to everything else. So us, <laughs> Jinju plants pl- don't plants crave Brondo. It has what plants need. It has electrolytes. <laughs> um, but the idea that the idea that our presence and our actions could trigger or could, I mean, could be uh, the pressure that generates some sort of species of plant or animal that, that, you know, they adapt to us and, you know, it's much harder for us to kill them or they, or they live a a more parasitic or symbiotic, you know, nature uh, relationship with us. Who knows what you can generate, but I like the idea of this, that, and of course they, they brought it up. Uh, Mandel said, I don't know if the tribe was trying to save their own asses. I got the feeling they were there with a tradition passed down to keep this away from the world. And I agree with that. I do. I agree that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, I think yeah. it was. It was. It was basically that. Yeah, the, the, those were the Mayan ancestors that had pretty much were salting the earth around this thing to make sure it never spread to the rest of the planet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was the thing: was it could spread, and they knew it could spread, and they've been around it for so long that they knew that yeah. they, you know, if those people come down, kill them, and that's it. And that's the end of that. Oh, because like, of the, the spore, the spores on their clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Because as they as they progressed through the film, their clothes kept getting more gunked up with all the spores from the vines themselves. Right. As soon as you take that outside, yeah, take that outside the group. That's it. It spreads. It's all over the world. God, that reminds me of a plant in Australia. It's native to Australia, and I could be completely (laughs) off. So anybody that lives there, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a plant that has little needles on it, um, and if you touch it, it causes like extreme severe pain. 
to the point where people have killed themselves because it, it hurts so bad for so long. Um, and there was like a story I was reading about the plant that a horse actually touched it and like ended up killing itself somehow. But like plants that have defense mechanisms are out there and it's like, they're fucked. That's terrifying. <laughs> like you could just be like walking around one day and all of a sudden, you I, touch if something I remember and, correctly, if I remember correctly, and PSG Tony is in the chat. PSG Tony just said, so this is weird to me. The theory the trees did it for the happening just seems so dumb. Yes, that was the theory Marky Mark comes up with, but he's obviously wrong. <laughs> Worst science teacher ever. What? No. <laughs> I, I digress. Yes. Oh, Jinju said not just on their clothes, but in their bodies as well. Yeah, this was such a fantastic mm -hmm. body horror. It really was. But I, we can ask PhD Tony because PhD Tony, I believe it is the gimpy plant is the one that Alex is referring uh, to. That the sounds one right. That, that sounds causes right. like, okay. like it, it's the, it's the plant, it's a stinging type of bush. And yes, it is. Oh, so yes, there is such a plant. The silicon slivers burrow into your skin and can't be removed. And I think it's called the gimpy plant. Let me check this out. No, yes, they right. call That's it the they call it the suicide plant. Yeah. What? When you have it's when it. you have something in your country <laughs> called a suicide plant, <laughs> it's the rule of Australia. Everything is trying to kill you. <laughs> Everything, Everything will try to kill you. If you want to talk about you. horror, if you want to talk about horror fighting back, just go to Australia. <laughs> you think you're top of the food chain until you're one of the, only, like one of the only countries crazy. that like a nuke hasn't gone off in or there hasn't been like a war fought on the you know the in australia minus the emu war but that's a totally different story but and then like so it's like it's just evolved to be just badass on its own it's like fine we don't need wars we can kill you with plants <laughs> <laughs> That's One thing I, I mean, I dug this. Um, I dug this as a body horror, and because Jinju just brought it up, it was not that the spores were obviously the spores were getting on their clothes, and we see that you know the spores kind of growing on their clothes in this environment that they're in. You know, the longer that the longer they're up there, but also they were breathing them in, and so the, the and that is most likely where the vines were getting into them is because they were growing from the inside. Um, they didn't go into this kind of detail, but in the book, there's a there's a scene when one of the uh, after the after they discover that one of the hikers' legs have been eaten away by the vines, uh, because in the because uh, the um, the vines also have an acidic sap, so yeah. when they try, when they grab the vines, try to pull them off, it burns, it burns their hands, and so they find the guy's legs eaten away, and one of the girls vomits, she throws up over by it, and then one of the vines comes out and then go, goes out and starts drinking. Uh, the the fluids. So the plants are after the fluids in their bodies. Is pretty much what they're after. And yeah. as a body as a, as a body horror, this I thought this was really really cool because I hadn't seen anything along these lines. Uh, not along these. Not not like the ruins. There's been some you know like of stuff growing inside of you or thing or you know things that are not supposed to be in there being in there or whatever. But the idea of of this so natural such a thing i mean obviously this plant doesn't exist but the idea of that is very very freaky a parasitic organism preying upon you just to the you know the and now i get the the the, the tagline terror has evolved that this is a plant that has evolved to this point that just feeds off of human beings and what it did to people obviously it gets into your brain starts making you insane you start hacking on yourself in various ways thinking that you oh i i just need to go over here i can just get it and just, oh God, that poor girl. Yeah, that, 
I, uh, I, I want to know more about fucking, where it came all from. All they had was a fucking Swiss Army knife. They only had a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> Remember, if you have to amputate, if you have to amputate a limb, right? I was watching an interview with a guy who did the uh, the 127 hours. 127 hours, yeah. Yeah, the the trick is because uh, a pocket knife will not cut through bone. You have to break nope. the bone. So yep. you break That's the bone right. and then cut the tissue around it. That's how you sever. If you have to amputate <laughs> something, that's how you do it. I saw that interview too. It was fucking brutal. Yeah, like, when he was explaining that shit. We'll, see, like, we'll oh. see. That was the ben- that was the benefit of the that was the benefit of the ruins. There was no flesh to cut around. They eat his <laughs> legs away, so all they had to do was bone. break the bones with a rock. <laughs> oh my god, so fucking gruesome, brutal. Oh yeah, it was a rough one. I think uh, someone mentioned in the chat earlier that they had never winced this many times watching a movie because there was there was some moments in that. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> they lost the emu or yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> nature fights back. That sounded more like a giant pigeon. I don't know. Lucy, <laughs> oh, man devil says, man devil says, this, this plant doesn't exist. Ha, in Australia, it won the best in show at the National Gardening Show three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I picture some Australian gardener who was just like, the plant started like growing out and he's like, Bam! Slaps a plant, and the plant just retracts back, and it's like pot. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Something about the gimpy plant that I just remembered too. Australians apparently eat it if it's denettled or whatever. You you know they take the spines out and they eat it. I, they, boil, I, they boil it. I don't know. Maybe oh, I don't know. Fire. That's weird. Australians are hardcore, man. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um... Yeah, somebody that. somebody said the tourists make up most of the deaths there, and it's like, yeah, because like, like I'm a northerner oh, in Texas, but it went below zero. <laughs> you're just used to it, like you know it's there. You don't fuck with it. But then our dumbasses come to Australia, they're like, yeah, and we touch a fucking blue ringed octopus, and we're done. Yeah, we you know we die. And there's <laughs> some, they take the gimpy plant, and they're like just gnawing on it, like it's <laughs> midday snack. <laughs> Oh, Jinju says, good thing we didn't have to fight cassowaries. Yes, cassowaries are assholes. Dude, they're that fucking dinosaurs. They will kill you. <laughs> yeah. But but I actually want to ask the audience, because we talked a lot about nature horror. What is your favorite nature horror? We talked about the ruins, and there are some other ones, like frogs. Um, I mean, just nature rising back. There is the happening. That is a film that somebody made. Oh, uh, but nature <laughs> rising. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a movie that was made by a person. <laughs> a person, yeah. With what the you didn't see it, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Yeah, what is your favorite nature horror film? Little Shop of Horrors. That is a fun movie. I like that movie. Feed me, Seymour. PC Tony says. Uh, PhD Tony says his interpretation, it is not possible that plants or anyone else for that matter can develop that sophisticated combination of neurotoxins without considerable trial and error. Ooh, maybe they were made. Oh, alien experiment that got away. Are we talking about plants or the coronavirus? Where did China go? Oh, don't even start. (laughs) Don't even start. You're going to hear you. You're gonna you're gonna get the whole thing nuked, dude. Come on. Dude, shit. I just demonetize this forever. 
<laughs> well, that's it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for been a great no, we year weren't and expecting a se- we weren't expecting a season finale. <laughs> a series <laughs> finale. <laughs> All right, let's jump to the next one. Let's jump to the next. What do we got? What do we got? Yeah, what oh, do we got? Okay, this one, this one's a gnarly one. So released April 8th. 1977, we have the movie Rabid. So this was a body horror film by director David Cronenberg, also written by David Cronenberg, starring Marilyn Chambers. (laughs) (laughs) Starring Marilyn Chambers, Frank Moore, Joe Silver, and Howard Rishpan. And such an an interesting concept. Now, obviously, early David Cronenberg, really, really digging on the body horror idea. And of course, other topical issues in basically in a nutshell in the movie rabbit um rose and her boyfriend hard get into a motorcycle accident while you know while uh, up in canada and when rose wakes up she's in the hospital and badly messed up well they use a particular type of um technique to heal kind of an experimental experimental technique to heal her and she heals back and she's perfectly fine but then discovers that she has something new an appendage that comes out under her from under her arm, a stinger that bites and attacks people and drinks their blood and then turns them into zombies. It's so, it's so extreme. It's exactly what you'd expect from David Cronenberg. Um, but an intense little film, obviously ext- extremely graphic. Uh, especially for 1977 and the casting of a uh, canceling of Marilyn Chambers, who was at the time, I think was one of the most famous at the time. 1977 was one of the most famous uh, porn Disco stars oh. at the time. And, and, and Cronenberg. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, if we can, if we can change the posters over, that'd be awesome. Just when you get a chance. So Marilyn Chambers that- is one of the most well-known porn stars at the time. I believe that she started in a movie called uh, beyond the green door behind the green door. And it was a mainstream, a mainstream <laughs> porn flick, and Cronenberg was convinced to cast her. Cronenberg was convinced to cast her. Exactly, but Cronenberg didn't like her accent. Right, and well, Ivan. Yeah, uh, Cronenberg did dig, dig, dig her accent. Yeah, Ivan Reitman suggested Marilyn Chambers because uh, you know the seventies sex appeal, and like they wanted something in there that was going to pull people in. Um, Definitely, the, the the whole cat. There was a lot of interesting cast choices on this, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was uh, uh, another thing about Marilyn Chambers. She had a um, a song out called Benihana at the time, and like about half an hour into the film, it's actually playing in the movie. That was like a little piece of trivia that I found out, which was kind of cool. But like, could you imagine like being the producer on this and be like, I don't think we should use Sissy Spacek. <laughs> what? We should use this porn star instead. Well, I mean, that's the big thing. Sissy Spacek, right. Sissy, because she didn't do this one, she ended up doing. She ended up doing Carrie, and so yeah. you know, well, yeah. Brian De Palma, the, the whole ex, Texas yeah, accent ex, thing, excellent was, movie there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the whole Texas accent thing turned uh, uh, Brian off of Spacek in the beginning, so he was trying to get rid of her from from the get go, but. Um, uh, there was there was a lot of stuff that in was pretty that was pretty stony. You think Go ahead. Well, it was pretty stony. You think for 1977 to cast a mainstream porn star 
as the lead in your film. And I mean, that's, that's a giant risk, especially for, mm-hmm. you know, cause Cronenberg wasn't her, it wasn't, you know, greatly established as one of the, as one of the legends in, in the industry at the time. So to cast this girl and, you know, and Ivan Reitman, that's a hell of a hell of a pedigree to talk to and to be like, Hey, if you need to cast this girl. And then it turns out, you know, she's absolutely amazing. She was fantastic in the role. Even Cronenberg was like, he was blown away by the, her work ethic and how she, she, gave everything she could to, to play the part of Rose to do this part and do it the best she absolutely could. It was kind of like, even David Cronenberg was surprised. Like, holy shit, this girl, this girl's really fucking talented. So right. it's awesome that she got this opportunity to do this and to break out. Because oftentimes when you're in adult pictures, no, no shame on, on doing, on doing pornographic, pornographic films, but it's very difficult to transition from that, uh, from that right. film style to from, from that uh, area into mainstream. Very, That's, very hard. Few well, can pull what, it off. Well, what to to me, what made what made sense was so when she ended up going to Hollywood to go do the whole actress dream and everything like that, and she started doing, she just started doing a pornographic film. She thought at the time that that's what she had to do to be successful. So she wasn't necessarily going to Hollywood to be. I'm going to be a porn star. And that was it. No, I, she wanted to be an actress and thought, well, this is just her paying her dues. So she went. And she did she did those and then she realized, well, no, now she couldn't get cast anywhere. She, I mean, it was like, it was toxic. No mainstream studio would touch her. And so when she actually finally got the opportunity to be in a regular film, of course she gonna, she's going to dive 100% in because that's why she got in the film business to begin with. And she worked her ass off in this movie. Uh, David Cronenberg even commented on how hard she worked on it. Was very impressed with her like work ethic on the movie. So she tried and she made it. Like it was, it was cool. Absolutely. There's a lot in this movie. Given, I, given I just, the, go ahead, give him one. I was saying, given the given the themes, given given the themes of the film and uh, what was going on. I mean, th- th- this was. I mean, I can see it from an emotional perspective, but also from a physical perspective. This was a. I would consider one of the toughest films seen from the 70s. Because 70s, you, I mean, you typically don't get this, this level of physicality. But for this girl to do this and to, for the 19s, for, especially for the late 70s, to get on film and do this mainstream and depict herself in this fashion, especially when she's, when she's known for her beauty, she's known for, you know, this is what people typically go to watch her for. And to take this kind of role where she's literally become a monster, Okay. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. You feed off human blood off of an appendage that comes out of your friggin' armpit, and you turn your victims into zombies that then destroy everything around you. I mean, goddamn, balls to, I mean, this girl blew my mind. You know, that the, the type of open mind, the type of dedication and fortitude it takes for an actress to do this, especially so quickly. I mean... I, w- I wish her star had blown up a little bit more than it had. I think she had a. L- I think she she did and still has a lot to give. Um, but I'm so glad that she got to do this one because this girl is legend. Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad she actually was able to go and break into the mainstream because you're right. It's so difficult in that transition. It's it's really really difficult. And usually, whenever a mainstream film will cast a porn star. It's usually really gimmicky, like for example, Tracy Lords and Blade. It's real gimmicky. <laughs> it's real gimmicky. It's like, oh, you remember her, and she's in this and all sorts of kind of stuff. And there, are, there are other films have done the same thing on it, but this feels like a legitimate casting choice, and it worked. 
No, it was good. Did you, <laughs> did you know that Tracy Lords was in Virtuosity? <laughs> She's been in a lot of things. It's so it, you mentioned it. You mentioned her, but I didn't even realize it. You know, Denzel Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. You know, silly sci-fi thriller movie. You know, like but you can see hallmarks. You know, these guys are really super talented actors and everything. You know, they're legends now. But there was a scene in there when Russell Crowe's Sid Sid six point seven goes in. And he takes over a nightclub and he's like making them all scream to make his orchestra. The fucking band that was Tracy Lords's band. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it's fucking Tracy Lords. She has no lines except for the singing that she does. She has no lines. And then when he pulls out the gun, she runs away. And she has like this one last fleeting look. Uh, like I'm Tracy Lord. <laughs> and then she takes off. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Jessica G in the chat. So Jessica never, G. We were just informed by our tech guy that Jessica G has now called out Eugene on some shit going on in the background there. <laughs> well, just ignore the camera that I have in the corner. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's over there like fucking American psycho. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh. Oh God. No, I legitimately actually have a camera. I legitimately actually have a camera on the corner <laughs> pointed at the bed right now. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I can't, we can't say that, Jessica. No, okay, okay. Dude, check this out. A little warning. A little warning to all of to all of our cast. We love Jessica so much. She is our stream queen. But be very, very careful. Read what she types first, because sometimes she wants you to, she types something out just to get you to say it so she can get a sound bite. So you have to be very, very careful because you may be used. Because everything you say can and will be used against you in a Jessica G stream. I shit you not. So be very, you have no idea. She's put, she's most likely put together a super cut of all the times I said titty last week. I sent them a bunch. Titty, 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 titty. <laughs> very Speaking careful. Of, very careful what you what you say. Oh man. Oh. Speaking uh, of, now everybody's like not talking. Like oh shit. <laughs> uh, oh god, it got all awkward now. Speaking of lines, I just got oh. going through it. That, I feel like that. No, I, I said that. I just tried to warn you. I just broke the rule. I just broke the rule. Uh. <laughs> that's that's no, right. That's right. Jessica G says so. Someone called the needed agency. I just spotted a gun show in Eugene's bedroom. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, when you got these guns, careful, careful. The ATF's gonna show up. Uh. God. Anyways. <laughs> Now that we've all been fucking suppressed by Jessica G, the ATF, the ATF. I think you mean. I think you mean the DTF. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, oh, did that really take you that long to catch? Come on, dude. <laughs> According to Johnny, I am minus one point for that joke. Okay, I'll let myself, I'll let myself out. One thing also very cool. I mean, and, and there was kind of a theme when putting the. I, I, I don't intend for these themes to show up, but we got a lot of body horror ones. This one particularly was the medical body horror, and I think I think that was a. I think Cronenberg uh, definitely touched on it in The Fly. You know, and in his later films, you know, there, there was an idea there, but I think this one really did the idea of you go into you go into surgery. You know, you trust your doctors, you trust the hospital. That yeah, you know, that's what that that is what it is, but. The terror that, you know, you're out, you're unconscious, you know, you're pretty much, your life is in their hands. They can do whatever they want to you. 
you know, you could go, you could go under completely normal, come out with a freaking tentacle coming out of your freaking armpit or a human centipede. You'd never know what these doctors have in mind. But the idea of the medical body horror, I think is also pretty creepy because a lot of people are really terrified of going under the knife because, you know, you have no control, you're unconscious, who knows what could possibly happen. You may never wake up. So that's a scary concept. And you, know, you wake up and your body is no longer yours. I mean, yeah, I mean, because the amount of trust that you have to put into doctors and surgeons when you are going under, you believe that they have their your best interests in mind. And most of the time they do. But even they had a dentist. It was out in um, around Florida, Georgia, in that area who he was putting patients under and he was pulling extra teeth because the amount of teeth he pulled based on how dental insurance would pay. So he was pulling perfectly good teeth out of people so that he can get that extra money for dental insurance on it. And uh, I mean, he basically got busted and all this other kind of stuff. But I mean, pe people, they, they didn't know on it. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, you're, you went in, so I'm going to pull one teeth and I pulled four or pulled five <laughs> on it. And so it's be, and on top just, of oh, that. That's it. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it was it was messed yeah, up. Yeah, it's just yeah. And I mean, he he, he <laughs> I mean, he's probably still in jail right now. On that, but <laughs> you're so vulnerable at that point, so vulnerable because I mean, you go under, and it's like a blank, and you just you hope everything's better. Yeah. And I think in terms of horror, yeah, one of the big things is that vulnerability. That's why it's like you're under the knife. Uh, in the bathroom, in the shower, these moments where people are their most vulnerable. And that's where horror can sneak in there. What if somebody showed up there? That's It's terrifying. Yeah. I've, had, I've had seven major surgeries and I've never thought of that. Now I'm thinking back to everyone like, did I leave with all my parts? Probably not, though. <laughs> <laughs> you could take a kidney. You'll never you know. see this you can see the surgeon. Well, he's not going to need this one. Let me ask the chat. So uh, David Cronenberg, legendary director. And of course, you know, still going strong. What is your favorite Cronenberg horror film? He's done so many. Let us know in the live chat or down in the comments below or hit us up weekendhorror at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. What is your favorite David Cronenberg horror film? So many to choose from, but all of them fantastic. Yeah. I, I think we're going to hear a lot of The Fly. So I was gonna definitely let us know. I'm going to come up a few times. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, uh, Jessica G was saying, uh, "Can my new channel get a shout out, please?" It's called Jessica and Tony Talking Titties. I got set <laughs> up again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she had a legitimate. I, I I saw her name. I saw Tony, and I got set up. I didn't even realize I said it. Oh my god! I fell for it. Oh. <laughs> I'm a go. I'm a gola calf man. <laughs> I, 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 I did it. I'm so trusting. No, I'm so trusting. <laughs> She knew her target. <laughs> she, 
I'm not even gonna try and justify it. She fucking got me. She, I fucking fell for it. That that's what happened. Fuck it, Bro. yo, Alex. We got one more movie to talk about. Bring it on. <laughs> you walked right to fucking in that wall, dude. It's weird because we keep stopping. We keep stopping and like probably looking around because we're listening to to Johnny talking in the background. Oh. So if we just pause randomly. That's I, what I have to. I have to address. I have. I have to address this. So awesome. Friendly antinatalist said, "Video drum. All hail Debra, Debbie Harry." Yes. Hell yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. That was that was an awesome one. And, and James Woods was the first time I'd ever seen James Woods not explicitly be an asshole in every single choice he made. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed Video Joe. Very fucking, very fucking creepy. Um, the film Existence had some real hallmarks of Video Drone later on. Uh Jinju says, poor, poor JL inserted foot all the way to the hip. Yes, I did. <laughs> om, nom, 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 nom. But PSG Tony said something interesting. Is this the point where I say I find body horror too squicky? I think I think he's fine. He's very squeamish. Is that body horror kind of freaks him out? So stuff like I'm assuming stuff like The Fly or you know Video Drome or Existence or you know shit like that. It's probably going to freak him out quite a bit. Or like you know uh, the no no because I know he loves the thing body horror stuff. Isn't it like TF2 That's interesting kind of thing. <laughs> Oh, oh, like, you know, like, that's really? Iron Man. Really? Yeah. Disgusting um, or yeah, disturbing? Like Very unpleasant. <laughs> it, interesting. It's, it, oh, so it's it's not a slang? Because oh, he's from Australia. No, it's definitely a word. I, I, oh. I, I just hear... Here oh, in the States, okay, cool. okay. here in the States, here in the States people say, oh, that's fucked up. They don't say, oh, that's, <laughs> that's so squicky. I just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I learned something new today. We have well, I'm going to start saying that now. Skydiver Tanner, hey, glad to see Skydiver Tanner, thank you so much for stopping by. He says, drive by hello to you all, lovely people. Wish I could stay, but love you all and hope everyone is having a great week. Keep up the amazing content, JL. Thank you, Skydiver Tanner. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that. And Great Paradise says, human centipede is a no for me. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no for a lot of people. Yeah, no. Hey, I'm not falling for it again, Jessica. It ain't happening. It's not happening, Jessica. <laughs> I'm aware of it. Shame, yo, for, yo, shame on you, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the deal because I've fallen for the trap so many times. I <laughs> <laughs> fool me once, shame oh, on you. Man. Fool me thirty-seven oh. times in a podcast. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony Regime says scanners or Videodrome. Yes, mm -hmm. both excellent. All right. So, yeah, Alex, we got one more. Take us away, take us away, dude. All right. We're going to finish this one off with actually one of my personal favorites. Hush, April 8th, 2016. I thought, I thought you liked this one. Yeah, this is, this is hands down one of my favorite. Uh, directed by Mike Flanagan um, and written by Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel, uh, star starring John Gallagher Jr., Kate Siegel, Michael Trucco, Samantha Sloan, uh, and Emma Graves. This movie is a home invasion style movie, but the twist of this is the main character is deaf. Um, so she's in her house and a mass killer is trying to kill her and she is using everything she's learned from being deaf to ward off this, this killer. Uh, I love this movie because it brings in a concept that most of us obviously don't, if you're listening to this, you can hear, um, it's not something that we have to deal with. And so like being, being scared because of it's a, it's a home invasion slasher movie 
but also having to think about like the fact that she can't actually hear what's going on and she has to try to be quiet, but she doesn't know if she is or not. The whole movie gets, it's, it's on my edge of my seat the whole time I was watching this. It was great. And the fucking performance, it was, the acting was fantastic. Absolutely. I love this film. I think it's oh, one yeah. of the best that's come out in probably about the last 10 years. And the the amount of work they got that put into it, the amount it just it came off so beautifully well. And so they actually got the Mike Flanagan actually got the idea of having a deaf character because he wanted to do a silent horror film or was a film that had no dialogue on it. And so him and him and his wife were working on that, but they just kind of got to the point where it's like if you had no dialogue, typically what happens is when you listen to silence for so long, you your, your ear is looking for different sounds and it'll start stretching out further and further. And so what he was afraid of is making like a silent film or a film with no dialogue was that it would eventually pull people out of the film because it's if you're watching it in your home, all of a sudden you're hearing the clock, you're hearing the stove, you're hearing all this other kind of stuff, and it just it would just naturally pull you out. Right. So they had to so they had to figure out ways to work around it. And they ended up to try to help make it interesting and also use a lot of steady cam and stuff like that with the cinematography. So what they ended up having to do is actually start putting in sounds. They start to had to start do a lot of ADR and also other kind of stuff to bring out some of the dialogue. For those who don't know. ADR stands for automatic dialogue replacement. And it's whenever you shoot something and then go back in the studio and record the person saying that line and you sync it up with their face on camera. So they'll watch a video of themselves with time code and they'll watch the playback and they try to mimic to make sure it kind of syncs up properly. So that's, that's ADR on it. And the use the use they found to keep it interesting because it's just one location. Keep it interesting. Keep the keep you still invested in the film was just it was excellent. Yeah, Ac- excellent. Very minimal dialogue, which is which is it's really hard to pull off because okay, you don't have you don't have a lot of dialogue, so they invested so much more into the cinematography because they steady cammed almost the entire film, so right. that you're getting interesting shots. You're getting a lot of movement and stuff like that to keep your eyes engaged when you don't have a dialogue to keep your ears engaged. That's, yeah. And so, I'm sorry, one, one was, quote. You're talking about, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, dude. You're good. Oh, I was just going to say, there was there was a quote by the killer in this movie that always was always like a, a big part of this film for me was, uh, he said something along the lines of, I know you're holding out on me. I bet if I hit the right spot, I could make you scream. And it's just like the the arrogance of this killer, it, not knowing that she's a deaf mute. So it's like it was just like you know I can make you scream like no fucker you can't <laughs> you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, there was a, this was a rehash of a movie um, called Wait Until Dark, uh, where the the victim or the, the character was blind instead of deaf mute. So it was. This was it was really cool that they played the deaf mute part because you know they can see but they can't hear so it was really cool. But yeah, having that limited audio and being able to make it an extremely scary movie was really cool. It it, it really was. Um, I I've always really enjoyed films where it's just two people trying to outwit each other. 
Um, one of my one of my favorite films, old fifties film, is called um, uh, "The Enemy from Below," and it's about a naval oh, ship yes. and a submarine, and it's just one one naval ship, one U.S. ship, one German U-boat, and both captains are really good, and they just have to outwit each other. And they go back and forth and all sorts of kind of stuff. It makes it really tense. And I like how you'll get – she gets some key points in. She gets some small victories, but even he gets some small victories in it, especially when her hand gets real fucked up at yeah. one part. And the oh, yeah. when he, when he yeah, catches, uh, catches her hand in the, in the door, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one other thing I dug. Being being a disability whore, and and uh, Jinju brought it up, uh, kind of akin to uh, "Don't Breathe" to Fiddy Alvarez's "Don't Breathe," um, is it kind of a the disability body whore in that respect. Um, how the individuals who are who don't suffer from disability automatically assume that the person who does have a disability is at some sort of disadvantage, when in actuality they may not be. And as it turns out, that the that Maddie's um, affliction, that the fact that she's a deaf mute. It's actually her greatest strength because she perceives the world differently than he anticipates, which is why she's reactive to things that he would not anticipate, which gives her that gives her a slight advantage over her attacker. Um, I love that. Number one, having a you know, it's it, uh, the protagonist is the one who's disabled in this one. So I think there were it gives kind of hallmarks of a movie that I think there was too. Uh, um, oh, I can't remember the slasher film with where the uh, was it copycat. Where uh, Sigourney Weaver's in it, she was agoraphobic and couldn't leave her apartment. Was it that one, or was that? Madeline? I think that I think that was, I remember Sigourney Weaver in Copycat. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I'm gonna say you're right. The, the idea of your because there's the idea of your protagonist having a handicap and your villain having a handicap, and like in Don't Breathe, the villain has it and they underestimate it, but in this one, the victim has it, but the 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 killer woefully underestimates her. And her fight and the fact that she overcame, you know, bacterial meningitis when she was a child and is independent and doesn't need anybody and, you know, lives alone specifically so that she can live leave, uh, live her life is absolutely stunning. I thought that Katie Siegel was magnificent in this one. The dynamic between the two of them, obviously the sadistic, he's like, oh, I'm going to have fun with this chick. You know, I fucked up her hand, I fucked up her leg. We're going to draw this out and have fun with this. And then her, you know, taking the fight to him. I'm telling you this. And the, uh, I don't know what, what you guys thought that final moment when she's hiding, she's in the bathtub, he comes through the friggin' skylight. She doesn't don't, hear ruin, don't ruin the end, don't ruin the end for people have seen it, but uh, uh, Tony muted us so we don't spoil it. But it was things like that, okay? That <laughs> yeah. uh, was just cap, and there were moments throughout this entire film like that that were just captivating that just really, really got me. Um, if you haven't seen it, you must. Check this out. I think it's still on Netflix, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I watch. I have it on my PlayStation, so I I watched it through that. But um, if if it is, check it out. This is. I was just. You I were talking it, about how it's captivating. The thing that got me was like I found myself like crouching down and being really quiet so that like I didn't make too much noise, and so it was, you know like I didn't give anybody away. It was cool that it could do that to you know your psyche. <laughs> I, and I like I like the fact, and Jay, I think you brought up a really good point, where her being deaf mute, mute seems like a disadvantage right off the bat, but we forget mm-hmm. that she's lived with it most of her life, so she's yes. already adapted to – she's already adapted to that lifestyle. So she's able to pick up on things that you're like, oh, well, they're deaf, they're mute. Uh, they obviously 
aren't used to this. It's like, no, she's had this for her entire life. Yeah, she is on it. And it's, I mean, it's just, oh man, it's, it's such a, it's such a back and forth between them, the way it's staged. It's so well done. That is really good. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it really is. Um, and the thing is also, I love films. Well, it, put, that, it, put a new, it put a new perspective. I was saying it put a new perspective on disability horror because, you know, I think uh, the earliest example I could possibly think, it was really more of a thriller was obviously uh, was obviously Rear Window, and the idea of of being stuck and being limited in the, in some capacity, and then of course you know however you want to, whether your protagonist is blind, whether they're deaf, whether they are paralyzed, or even say like the movie Monkey Shines, where our protagonist turning kind of antihero turning villain, he was a quadriplegic. You know, in regards to that, where the idea of losing an aspect of yourself that now, luckily for our protagonist here, Maddie, she she lost her. You know, I think it was at the age of 13, if I remember correctly. Yeah, at age 13. So Maddie's had time to acclimate to it. But, you know, but even then, it's terrifying the concept of losing a part of yourself, whether, you know, it's a feeling like losing a hand or losing an arm or losing a leg or you know, some of the, the, the things that you need to perceive the world, you know, losing your sight, your hearing, your ability to taste things, you know, or or smell them, smell being, you know, so, you know, important. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I dug these ones because I think everybody's got that one sense that they would be terrified to lose. That's, see, when you talk about it like that, that's uh, with, with the, side effect of the coronavirus i know a couple of people that lost their sense of uh smell and taste and uh, a friend of mine was really not like good mentally okay with it like because it it lasts for so long that it was a month later and you still can't taste or smell and it like it causes depression like you had this thing that you no longer have you don't enjoy eating like you can't smell things you know it's just frustrating and and that's not even like a, you know, a major one, but it causes other problems as well. Like you don't want to eat. You're not, you don't have an appetite anymore. And so, yeah, that's like it, even the little ones, the little yeah. senses are, are messed up. But that's, you know, honestly, that's, that's a good question for the audience. Uh, what would be the scariest sense to lose? I, I have a really hard time thinking about if I was deaf because I'm so aware of like the sounds that are around me all the time. I use that. I'm I have pretty terrible eyesight and I just refuse to get glasses. But like, I use my sense of hearing more than I use any other sense uh, to figure out what's going on around me. So I'd be terrified if I lost that. You know, you'd have to readapt to everything. And on top of that, you would lose music. You'd lose everything that you yeah, yeah. everything that made you feel good. Music, yeah. you know, I, but the music thing, like from what I've read about uh, people that are deaf, like you can still like feel the vibrations and kind of get an idea of, you know, what the sounds are if you've had hearing before, you know, to so to have it and then lose it, that would be, yeah. that would be terrifying. Yeah, that's, and that's what I kind of like watching those uplifting videos where people hear for the first time. Oh my God, makes me cry. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just like, oh my God, they're experiencing forever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I can tell you, as I, I don't have a sense of smell myself. Um, have never had one, and my sense of taste is very, very muted, which is why uh, typically I'm, whatever I'm eating, it's either usually spicy or it's sweet. I need the extreme taste so I can actually get something out of the food that I eat. Otherwise, they come off as very, very bland. Um, which you know, 
probably explains a lot of things about, you know, either my weight or whatever, but um, that's just the way my life is. But I've never known what it's like to have a sense of smell. My sense of taste has always been muted. It's always been kind of reduced. So, and my eyes are shit. So I have, you know, glasses on that just, uh, just, I got my mother's eyes and they're just absolutely terrible. So my sense of hearing is so very, very important to me. And I can actually attest to this, Alex, because you're saying sense of hearing as well. My, my, my sense of hearing is, is so important um, that I one time, you know, years ago, I actually had an impaction in my left ear. Oof. And I lost my I, I could I couldn't hear out of my left ear. And I knew it, it was one of the few times in my life I panicked because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. just the, the, the sound just closed off. And I and it was like it was almost like it was almost like my it felt like my ear was numb. Because there was no sound coming in whatsoever, right. and it freaked me out so badly. It, I, I had a, I almost had a panic attack, and eventually, you know, what it was, you just went to the doctor, got flushed out, and then that was pretty much it. But for a while there, I was absolutely terrified because I rely on my sense of hearing so much, because um, my other senses are absolute crap. But um, but that's just me from that experience, and you know, everyone's got that one that I think if I think for a lot of people it might be blindness. What do you think, Eugene? Yeah, I was going to say eyesight. Um, I was actually I was on a camping trip. It was like a week-long camping trip when uh, I was a teenager. And I was, say, oh, I was on a sailboat, and I, I lost my glasses in the lake. Like, I mean, they're, they're, and they're gone. And we're out there for a week, and I lost them, like, on, like, Wednesday. Like, the middle of the week. So I had to go, like, three days in the woods without my glasses. And you can kind of get to the point where you kind of adjust to a point. So you can kind of walk on a trail and you kind of find your way around and stuff like that. The entire time I'm thinking, like, if this is prehistoric time, that would have been picked off like a long time ago. Yeah. On it. And so, and that's just, I mean, that's just, I have my super bad eyesight being completely black or to the point where it's just you only see flashes of light because you, you can't drive a car. You're so dependent mm. on people around you. Um, even like your home kind of thing where you have the people who can't, like, they have to count steps to the refrigerator, to do their laundry, to the bed, all sorts of kind of stuff. It, it's really scary. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be terrifying. That's, that's crazy, JL. I didn't, I didn't know about your, uh, your smell taste thing. Yeah, yeah, it's been since birth. And I can tell you the, the, the test to figure out whether or not your olfactories are actually working is, especially in the early eighties is absolutely terrible. It yeah, fucking right. sucks. It, you know, I, it, it just Q-tips and just, you know, it pretty much it would, you know, back then, back in the eighties, it was, well, let's stick something in here and see what happens. Well, nothing happened. I guess. <laughs> pretty much it. You and, in your blood. Why don't you do cocaine about it? <laughs> it's fucking, it's fucking atrocious, but yeah. Oh, here's Jessica, one. I've okay. got, I've got extreme. Jessica G, sorry. Jessica G at PC Tony. We're not falling for it. We're not going to fall for it. <laughs> and please, Alex, continue. <laughs> <laughs> they're really going they, for it, man. They keep no, trying to get say, us and they're not going to get us. I was going <laughs> to say, I've got severe tinnitus that developed probably eight or 10 years ago. Uh, not sure why, what happened, but like constant ringing in my ears. So like being able to like listen to music and stuff constantly mm. is like, that is an important part as well because like the silence, I don't know how like deaf works if the tinnitus would go away, but if that's all I could fucking hear, I'd probably not be here. Yeah, just that ringing and nothing else. It's, the rest of your it's life, so bad like, all the time. Oh, and like, yeah, it, yeah. It, 
yeah, no, it's it's terrible. But like that's like I have to like turn the TV on at night well, when I'm trying to fall asleep because it's like I can't listen to that noise all the time. Yes. Well, definitely let us know in the live chat or down in the comments below or shoot us an email, weekendhorror at gmail.com. Because Alex reads those and he loves to read what you guys have to say. Let us know what is the scariest sense for you? What would be the scariest sense to lose? We definitely would want to know that. Now, Eugene, we have a trivia question. <laughs> yes, we do. It's trivia yes, time. And Somebody gets we, to win something. We are giving away... What is this? Hang on a sec. Jessica G is in the chat. So for oh, Dev, so Jessica G says so for the vision impaired, none of them know what me and Tony are typing. So thanks to JL Warren for denying them the privilege of reading our comments. Oh my God! Now she just oh, wow, wow. You're not, you can't I, win. You're not going to make me feel guilty. You can't win. Oh, Charlie Welch says COVID gave me ringing and left ear. Still that there was, two months later. That was oh. one of the side effects oh, from COVID. Was that tinnitus. sucks. Yeah, that was one of them. That sucks. That's terrible. Well, well, how about this? We're giving away a limited edition number two Week in Horror T-shirt. We're giving one of those away with a coffee mug. Since nobody, so you get a mug. Suggestion. official. A new. Our official Weekend Horror mug and a limited edition Weekend Horror shirt, uh, number two Weekend Horror shirt, because this is the last month that the limited edition shirt will be in the store. At yes. the end of April, it's gone, and it's, I think it's going to be gone forever. So that's pretty much it. So, yep, this is your opportunity to try and get one for free. So, Eugene, take it away with this week's trivia question. Okay. The question is, what is the first what is the first film director Mike Flanagan and his wife Kate Siegel collaborated on together? What was the first film director Mike Flanagan and wife Kate Siegel collaborated on together? And then when you get your answer, Jessica, put it in you're the killing me. <laughs> put it in the comments. Yes, put it in the put it in the comma. <laughs> I got your, I got your back. I got your back, Jessica G. Hang on a second. I got your back. Uh, since nobody ever gets to hear my comments read because JL doesn't like people that can't see, someone will have to read it out for him verbally. Titties. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, thank you. Johnny can take it. Okay, so I think Johnny's our official Jessica G comment reader. And yes, PG Tony is the first one in the chat to get the to get it right. It was Oculus. Oh, but here's a yes. question. Yes. Here's a question. He spelled it wrong, but Charlie Welch spelled it right. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh, no, PG Tony. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to. This is not uh, this is not the know. this is not the week in English. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, oh, well, no, I was about to make a joke that he didn't put in for a phrase. He didn't form it like a question, but he actually did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Peach Tony, you are correct. Kate Siegel had a small role in the film Oculus, which was the third film. Third film? Slurred film? Slurred film. I almost said Slurred, second, yeah. but and then I, I second guessed myself. Um, no, second film. Damn it. I've, I got to stop fucking doing that. But yes, uh, was the second film that Mike Flanagan uh, directed, and he had she had a small role in that. Um, they've been together ever since. They've collaborated quite a deal. 
Uh, and I think always fan, they always put out fantastic stuff. So yes, congratulations, PhD Tony. You win the official Weekend Horror limited edition shirt number two, the one with the entire casting crew of Weekend Horror together as our favorite horror icons. You get one of those bad boys and an official Weekend Horror coffee mug. And we will get those to you out ASAP. Oh, man, oh, man. So congratulations, PhD Tony, for winning that. I want to thank everybody else for coming out. So that brings another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. I want to thank you all so much for listening. We truly hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week when we discuss Anaconda, Edge of Sanity, Scream 4, and Unfriended. And we would like to send a special shout out to our incredible patrons who have helped us make this show the success that it has become. Special thank you to Jeff Roberts, Dark Steve, Commander Darklight, Sir Chasm, Crafty Kila, Anthony Purcell, Gavlar, the Hand of Zod, Mike Barrett, Jessica G, NANA, Kyrie, Alexis S, and Jose Alalde. We thank you all so much. We couldn't do the show without you. Visit us at weekendhorror.net where you can find links to all of our episodes, our bios, our merch store at Teespring, and of course, Enter your email for a permanent entry to win a mystery horror shirt every single month, courtesy of $6shirts.com. For more horror entertainment, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Followers there get our daily splatter, a little bit of horror info every day right to your feed. You never know what movies you may discover. We really hope you enjoyed this new live format. We'd love to get your feedback on it. Please subscribe to the channel and smash that bell like a fucking zombie head for all the latest from the show. And lastly, if you truly love what we do here and would like to and are able to support the production, you can through our PayPal and our Patreon. We have patron tiers as low as $1 a month. $1 a month, and you can help us make the show uh, even better than it was before. We also have exclusive content for our higher tiers, such as access to our bloodbaths, access to our After Dark sessions, and even free movies every single month. Links to all of those, including our Discord community, where you can find film recommendations, trailers, trivia games, interact with us directly, and even watch movies with us during our watch parties are all down below in the description. Now, we know that things are tight. Things are just crazy out there right now. So always, always liking and sharing this show amongst your friends and your fellow horror community is the best way to help us grow. And we appreciate you all so much for all that you do in supporting us. Every single one of you, we love you so much. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm Alex. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.